where common sense, honest conversation, and thought-provoking discussions thrive in a completely independent forum. This is the Roundup Podcast. I'll be the first to admit that I love a little bit of Roundup in my life. Roundup in my life. Here now is your host. He is quite a character. His name is Jeff. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeff. Jeff Eager. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Oregon Roundup Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Eager, as usual, recording this a little bit before 1 p.m. on Thursday, December 15th. And we do have a special treat in store for you today. It is the first ever guest of the Oregon Roundup Podcast. And that guest is none other than Congresswoman-elect Lori Chavez-Dreamer, who will be joining us via phone here shortly. As you all know, if you've been listening to the podcast and reading the roundup, kind of one of the highlights or lowlights, depending on your political point of view, from the 2022 election is that Congresswoman-elect Chavez Dreamer, which is a very long title, flipped the 5th District of Oregon from Democrat to Republican for the first time since 1996. And she will join a narrow Republican majority in the Oregon, or pardon me, in the U.S. House. First time again since 1996 that Oregon has sent more than one Republican to the House of Representatives. She will join Cliff Bentz, who represents the heavily Republican 2nd Congressional District. Look forward to interviewing the Congresswoman-elect. I think it'll be a very informative interview for all of you. Get to know her a little bit better and what she hopes to accomplish in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Congresswoman-elect Lori Chavez-Dreamer to the program, the first ever guest of the Oregon Roundup podcast. Good afternoon, Congresswoman-elect. Thank you so much for having me. I will tell you this, after 16 months, I appreciate that you got my name right. (laughs) (laughs) Not everybody does that long name. It's kind of a mouthful. The Congresswoman-elect on top of the Lori Chavez-Dreamer is, it's a lot of words, but come January, you can drop the elect part, right? That's right. And, you know, most people have been asking as we've gone down this process, you know, how do we address you? And I'm like, how about Lori? Lori's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think if we can shut it up. Uh, it'll be much easier. Okay. Well, we'll we'll stick with Lori. I was going to ask you, since you're a former mayor, if you preferred congresswoman-elect or your honor, most highest or something like that. Right. It seems all surreal and silly all at the same time. So <laughs> I tell people I wear the title proudly to serve my country and Oregon, but you can call me Lori as we're moving through this. Great. Well, I think a lot of the listeners of the Oregon Roundup podcast are probably familiar with you to a degree, but there was so much going on in this last election that I feel like you, your race, and especially you, were kind of undercovered by the media to a degree. But the fact that you won the 5th District, you flipped it for the first time since 96, is a pretty big story. Maybe you could fill everyone in on kind of what your background is and why you chose to run for Congress. Well, thank you again. You know, I moved to Oregon 22 years ago. I've been married for 31 years to my high school sweetheart, which I I use that on the trail because it means a lot to be committed. I wanted people to understand that if I can be committed to a relationship like a lot of people, being committed to this race really took that much effort of every day. I've raised two beautiful girls that are 28, identical. And I tell people also that, you know, one's a Democrat and one's a Republican and they're one minute apart. So Again, I think that's kind of the testament to Oregon's 5th District, you know, kind of split down the middle and how I would address that. 
not only through my relationships with my husband, girls, but also being a business owner for 18 years, uh, building a business in Oregon's 5th District where we have offices in Clackamas and in Bend and lots of friends and family. Community has always been our family as both my husband and I met in high school in Central California and we had not, every place that we had moved during his career becoming a physician community was our family. So that meant a lot to me as I inserted myself in this race. And then, of course, being a mayor was key in trying to understand everybody in the district. You learn very quickly to represent everybody and bring people to the table when you're a mayor because you're nonpartisan. You're trying to assist everybody in their daily lives as they wake up in the morning and come home at night. They're looking to a mayor for leadership and, you know, for safe streets and keep taxes low and have a vibrant economy, access to all the goods and services. And so that experience across all those sectors, I think, played well for Oregon's 5th District. So maybe it was undercovered. There was a lot going on in Oregon just because of the governor's race was exciting for Oregon. People were interested in that. I, I even got calls during my race that said, tell me what's going on in the governor's race, right? I mean, that was just something that people were paying attention to. And then there were three open congressional seats. While we were the only one to flip a seat red after, you know, all these years and being the first Republican ever elected to Oregon, Oregon's congressional seat, being the first Latina, first, you know, all those things undercovered. But now the spotlight, I think, will be on this seat and for the future. So whether the winds were in at my back this cycle, maybe they'll be in my face, this, you know, in the future. I think I'm a good fit for the district because of all those reasons. Absolutely. And I I would agree that serving in local government definitely does remind you of what people expect from government. They just want their potholes filled, cops on the street keeping their families safe. No better way to keep your pulse on what voters are thinking about than sitting through city council meetings and hearing citizens say what they want. You were the mayor of Happy Valley, Oregon. Is that right? That's right. For eight years, I... I started in Happy Valley in 2002 on the Parks Committee when Happy Valley was just, gosh, 4,000 people. I was elected then to city council in 2004, on to council president up until 2010, and then I ran for mayor and served two full terms from 2010 to 2018. And now Happy Valley was the fastest growing city during my tenure and sits just under 30,000. And I would imagine as we continue will be over that number in Clackamas County. So it was an exciting time to see the growth, to see the development, to see how people would come together. You know, they won't just find you in the city council meetings, right? You'll see them at schools, you'll see them in the parks, you'll see them, you know, at all the events, and they want to talk to their mayors. So I kept this race local for that reason, because, you know, we want to change things in Washington. We have to remember who we're representing and and take that message to D.C., and then come back and talk to the people and keep the promises that we made during the campaign. Absolutely. And Happy Valley. So are the people in Happy Valley happy? Is that why it's called that? We often get asked that question. I will tell you, absolutely. You know, we have a great uh, constituents in Happy Valley. I mean, such a diverse group of people, you know, because like you said, it was very rural at one point. Now we're a suburban city. You know, the city has been since 1965, the charter. And at that time, if you look at Happy Valley's charter, it was to keep Portland out, so to speak, as they started to come out to the Multnomah and Clackamas County line. I think Happy Valley wanted their own destiny. 
And so they incorporated in 65. And I think they've continued down that road. We were a bedroom community for a far, you know, very long time. But as it started to grow, people wanted services and, you know, you had to be a player in that. I was a volunteer mayor for and counselor, right? We didn't get paid. And by the time my tenure was done, I was a 40 hour a week mayor because small communities, which there are a ton of in Oregon, they don't have lobbyists. We have to fight for everything to be at the table. So I was at a lot of county tables, a lot of state tables, and I would travel to D.C. to see what those policies did to small communities. So now that I can be a congresswoman and have my constituency come to Washington and tell me, I can fully understand what they're talking about when we make policy decisions, how it affects the local communities. And I think that that's going to be an asset for, for this seat. No doubt about it. Well, let's talk a little bit about the 5th Congressional District. And for me, this your your race and kind of the behind the scenes of what happened with the 5th Congressional District is one of the, frankly, funnier political stories in recent Oregon political history. Because for the benefit of our listeners who've sometimes heard me talk about this before, you know, the 5th Congressional District always used to be a Willamette Valley district predominantly. We here in Bend were part of the 2nd District, which is a heavily Republican district and continues to be that that took up, up the eastern two-thirds of the state. And then the Democrats that ran the redistricting process decided it'd be fun to bring the 5th Congressional District over here to Central Oregon, and it now includes Redmond and Bend. And I think they did that because they wanted to bring the Democrats from Bend into that district and kind of balance out some of the more conservative parts of the Willamette Valley in that district. And the funny part about that is bringing uh, the Democrats in Bend tend to be fairly progressive group of folks. And they ended up kicking to the curb Kurt Schrader, who was the multi-term incumbent Democrat of the 5th District and nominated Jamie McLeod Skinner, who Lori eventually beat in the in the general election. When you were preparing to run and kind of your focus during the campaign, Lori, it seemed to me like you were your messaging was extremely dialed in and consistent and you weren't making news except for when you wanted to make news about the stuff that matters to the district. How did you go into this race in light of the the fifth congressional district kind of being two pretty disparate parts of the state? Well we heard that as we started the campaign, you know, we got started got 16 months before the election because we knew as a conservative and a Republican that it would take that long to tell the story of what kind of candidate I would be and what kind of uh, representative I would be. So in telling that story, again, the local component was key and then bringing the two together. And when I started to head over to Central Oregon, I would hear often oh, gosh, here's just another Portlander who's going to come over here and tell us what what we need. And I didn't want that. I wanted to make sure that they got to know me, and I knew it would take 16 months. So when we filed in that July, the lines hadn't been drawn yet. We had no idea where it would be. We knew it was where it was kind of headed. We saw the, the pre-map. We weren't sure. I even had a text conversation with Congressman Schrader letting him know that I was going to file in that seat. I'd known him for years as being the mayor. And he, you know, wanted me to wait. He thought I should wait. But I knew I couldn't wait because of the timing it would take to get the campaign on the ground. So when that started and he finally ultimately decided to stay in the 5th District, because at that time he wasn't even sure what he was going to do, I knew, based on his history, that he had maybe had a few constituents that were unsettled with his voting record. 
constituency that, you know, really didn't know him over in Central Oregon, but I knew he would be a formidable opponent to try to beat. So when he lost that primary, because I will say it, and I've said it more than once, the Democrats really ate their own in that race because they set themselves up for failure with a candidate, you know, like Jamie McLeod Skinner, who who had run before, but she was an extremist. And I don't think she represented Oregon's 5th District well, and she made it known. Now she tried to flip that as onto the general but I think that the ground had been laid for people to not believe that, that she was a moderate. That being said, they spoke up, right? We saw that. And my my story never changed. It was, I'm a mayor, I'm a mom, and I'm a business owner. And I want you to know that I'm here to understand and be relatable to you, not come over here and tell you what I think you need. I just needed them to understand that my 54 years of life included you know, being raised in in a small farm community so I could understand what their issues were. Also being a small town mayor, you know, relate to Redmond and Sisters and Sun River. And Bend is not much different than a Lake Oswego here on the Portland side. So there were some real issues. And when you talked about what the issues were, the economy, inflation, jobs, crime, all that matter to all of the 5th District. And that's what we stayed our message on. And, And we flipped a Biden 9 eat by two little over two points. And it took that much hard work and of course raising money, but we were able to do that. I think that's absolutely right. And the I think there's been a lot of talk coming out of the twenty two midterms about some Senate seats, some House seats nationwide where Republicans maybe mess things up with the candidates that they recruited and some of the stuff that happened during the campaign. I think yours is one of the the main races nationwide actually where the Democrats did that to themselves. And we nominated, a we Republicans nominated a really good candidate in you and the Democrats went extreme and ended up losing a what should have been, based on Biden's performance in the district, a winnable seat. And so congratulations on that. I think you've been in orientation some. How's the kind of interim period between winning the election and actually taking office gone? Have you been assigned to an office yet? What has it been like kind of getting your feet wet back in D.C.? The election night, we did not know, you know, the race had not been called. We knew what the dates were for orientation, which was that following Monday morning, we needed to be in Washington. So on Friday night, I believe, we booked our tickets, knowing that possibly Jamie could be on that flight as well, because you would get invited by congressional leadership or congressional staff to come back for orientation. So we bought our tickets. We weren't sure. We were on the flight on Sunday when we when the race had been officially called. So by the time we landed in D.C., we knew that we were officially the winners of the race. So that was exciting because some seats were where both candidates were there. And when you get there, you know, you're not really sure of what's happening. We were all in the same hotel. Freshmen, there's 74 freshmen, Democrats and Republicans. There's 43 Republicans. But we were all in the same hotel, orientation. There was a couple of sessions where it was general session for both sides, just basics, ethics, rules, you know, what happens with picking offices, all of that stuff. And then we would break out into our respective party conferences in order for, you know, for other other classes. So it was exciting. I was excited to be there. It was controlled chaos in the sense that they do this every two years of onboarding. It's amazing how efficient it was that we were all there. So it was exciting met the leadership. I had met quite a bit of the leadership before in the Republican side, but I had not met everybody, but they knew who we were. Capitol Police was there to take care of us at all costs, which was great. 
yeah, we got to know each other. And I did see the other Oregon representatives, Congresswoman-elect Val Hoyle, Congresswoman-elect Andrea Salinas. We were, you know, all there at the same time. So, of course, we visited in, you know, the halls and, and if we were in the same sessions. So, yes, we did pick an office. I think it was the following Friday. What, what had happened was we'd gone for one week. We had Thanksgiving off, and then we went back for the following week. And that was our office choosing. We draw numbers out of a hat, and then we get to pick. So out of 74, I drew number 66, which is not a, a great draw. So you're in Canon then, right? No, I'm actually in Longworth. Okay, okay. So there was a, there, but I'm on the seventh floor, which oh, is the yeah. top floor. So I'm calling it the penthouse suite. We'll enjoy it because, you know, I'm grateful to just be in office. There was a big fanfare. Seemed, I didn't know it was such a big deal to pick offices, but for some it was the biggest day so I, I pick my office. It'll be fine. I think this, the team will love it. We'll make it what, you know, what it's worth and, and we'll enjoy every bit of it. So that's been exciting. And again, the conference has been great, you know, just learning the rules and setting the rules for the conference. And, you know, we picked our leadership. Of course, we will have the speakership coming up after we're sworn in, uh, which is January 3rd. Great. I worked back on Capitol Hill a long time ago, like 20 years ago, and we were we were in Longworth, so I definitely have some good memories of, of Longworth, <laughs> although I can't say I ever made it up to the seventh floor. So that's, <laughs> that's but you're right. Any, any office is a good office, and I'm sure you'll make good use of it. You haven't been placed on committees yet. Is that right? That's right. We were, of course, during those few weeks, we were asked, you know, throughout various different conversations about what we were leaning toward. And as we picked a steering committee, and uh, officers, you know, we have a freshman class president. There are steering committees for different parts of the country. And, of course, there's leadership. And, and of course, there's already the, you know, the ranking members that are on those committees. So you can lobby for sure what you think that you want. But officially, we did submit to Leader McCarthy's office. I think it was last week that we had to turn those in, uh, what our asks were. But I don't believe they assigned those until probably middle of January. What committees or committee are you hoping for? Well, certainly I have asked a big ask always, uh, Ways and Means. Whether or not a freshman gets that will be remain to be seen, I highly, highly unlikely. So, therefore, I have lobbied for transportation and infrastructure. As mayor, uh, I sat on a lot of transportation committees within the counties, within the state, within the city. So I want to make sure that we stay focused there. Also, agriculture is another top choice for me, as well as Veterans Affairs, Homeland Security. I didn't want to double up on natural resources, even though the Oregon 5th District calls for that. Congressman Cliff Bentz is on the Natural Resource Committee, and he'll be heading up the Water Subcommittee. So I think that that's important to work with him over in the Central Oregon side to address those issues, but I didn't need to double up on the same committee. So sure. we'll see what, what we come out with. I know that it's a, it's a big haul for freshmen to get on one of those A committees, but we could sure use some more small business input on ways and means given some of the tax policy that's come down the last couple of years. Absolutely. I know this may be shaped to a degree by what committees you end up on, but what are at this stage, what are some of the kind of legislative priorities that you have kind of milling around in your in your head that things you'd like to accomplish for your district? Well, we heard on the trail, you know, some of the, you know, the farm bill is going to come up, right? I mean, that's going to be something that people are paying attention to. That affects central Oregon, but it affects really all of the fifth district as we even go down the Willamette Valley. And, and so, you know, if agriculture is one of those committees that we get on, I think that could be instrumental to, to Oregon as a whole. 
The other side of that on the transportation and infrastructure, again, I was always a pro-growth mayor, making sure that we had, you know, some good land use issues, but also on the transportation infrastructure package that was passed, there is going to be dollars that are going to go out to other states. And so, therefore, if I can be a voice for Oregon to complete some of the packages can come, you know, back to Oregon, that's what I'm going to fight for. And when we're talking about that, we're talking about Clackamas, you know, Highway 212. We're talking about Highway 97 over in Central Oregon. There's a lot of issues that can be paid attention to if we can get on transportation and infrastructure. So those are kind of some of the things that I'll be watching. Again, whether or not we can get a lot done, not having a majority in the Senate, not having the presidency, we're going to make sure that as, you know, conservative Republicans, we can you know, maybe stop some more wasteful spending. People are still, you know, paying very high prices for their cost of goods and cost of living that are still going to affect. We saw a lot of people's 401ks dump. We're seeing the interest rates grow up. It's hard for people to own assets anymore. These young people that are moving through this world are going to have a hard time in the next few years. So clawing back some of that money might be, we'll pay attention to that as well. Sure. And if I could put a good word in for widening and improving Saniam Pass would be, you were probably familiar with that highway and that pass before running for Congress, and you've probably become much more acquainted with it since you (laughs) ran, and you will continue to be so as you make your way over here to Central Oregon. But boy, that thing could use a couple more lanes. Absolutely. I'll let you go in just a second, Lori, but uh, you mentioned this this leadership and speaker election will be held on January 3rd, and there's been some scuttlebutt about whether or not current minority leader Kevin McCarthy has the votes to be elected speaker when that election takes place. I wonder if you have any thoughts on how you think that's going to turn out and if, if you have any thoughts on, on how you might vote in that election. Well, I'm going to support Leader McCarthy. You know, one of the things that I often say why is, you know, throughout the 18 months, I think he was shown, you know, a pathway that, that opening up the Republican tent, you know, the fact that he walked the walk in supporting candidates, supporting more diverse candidates, more female candidates. So we're going to have a voice in that conference. We have a slim majority, as, as everybody knows. Everybody's vote is going to be powerful. There are just certain seats that are majority makers. One of those is mine. We do not want to lose this seat. I think he's aware of that. He has been very open during the conference on conversations that everybody has a voice. The rules will be adjusted and voted on right after we pick our speaker so that we can make sense of that conference and not be tied up. Whether or not the scuttlebutt that everybody hears about happens, I think I think he's going to have the speakership without uh, a doubt. Maybe it might take more than one vote, but the other option I often tell you know, people who ask is, who else are they going to vote for? What is the other option for us? And it is not to have a consensus candidate and or have the Democrats choose the speaker for us. We have the gavel. I think that that's important. We need to keep the gavel. And I will be voting for Leader McCarthy. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be the first time that the media has maybe concocted a Republican leadership fight where one might not exist (laughs) (laughs) in in reality. Well, I appreciate your time, Lori, and thanks for joining us. I know you're very busy ramping up to take office next month. I hope you'll consider coming back sometime when we can get an update on how Congress is treating you. Well, I appreciate it. I hope you all enjoy your holidays. Merry Christmas to everybody's families out there. I will be heading back 
just before the end of the year, sworn in on the 3rd. We will have a busy schedule. We will be voting in person. There'll be no more proxy voting that happens, so we will have a busy schedule every week. But I will do my best to be back in Oregon almost every weekend to do just that so I can come visit. I can continue to talk to Oregon's fifth voters and really all of Oregon, you know, make some changes here that we desperately need and then work with the state of Oregon to see, you know, how we can hold the lines. You know, we have no longer in the super majorities, which is good. And so we can make some changes here for the greater good of Oregon as a whole. Great. Well, you'll get even better acquainted with airplanes and airports starting in January. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. I appreciate you all doing this. Anytime I can be of help, I would love to be on your show and talk to Oregon. So Merry Christmas, you guys. I will chat with you soon. Merry Christmas, Lori. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, and we just got off with Congresswoman-elect Lori Chavez-Dreamer. Hope you all enjoyed the interview. It's My questioning was informed by the fact that I was back in D.C. when former Congressman Greg Walden was first elected. So I saw firsthand kind of what it's like for a freshman from Oregon to get used to serving and kind of the machinations that that go on back there. As the term goes, drinking from a fire hose for sure. For new members back there, it's harder, quite frankly, for members that are from states like Oregon that are a long ways away from Washington, D.C. So if you represent like Virginia or Maryland and you basically can commute to work every day, that's a much different gig than having to get on an airplane for five to six hours with connections and all the turmoil that occurs with air travel these days to get just back home. So it's a it's a real sacrifice that members of Congress make of both parties who serve from out west because their schedules are just completely crazy. It's a big sacrifice for them and for their for their families. And so it's we are fortunate that people like Lori are willing to make that sacrifice for us because it it's not quite as glamorous as many may think. Well, that does it for this episode of the Oregon Roundup podcast, our first guest episode of the Oregon Roundup podcast. Let me know what you think. You can email me at jeff at eagerlawpc.com. Or if you got this podcast via email from Substack, just respond to that email. You can sign up and please do sign up. It helps us to follow the Oregon Roundup podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever other mechanism you use to consume podcasts. You can also keep track of what we're doing with our newsletter that comes out about weekly at oregonroundup.substack.com. Thanks for listening and thanks for reading. I believe we will have another episode next week, so I'll wish you a early Merry Christmas, but I'll probably be talking to you next week about Merry Christmas as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Roundup Podcast. To share your thoughts with Jeff, you can email him at jeff at oregonroundup.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter at oregonroundup.substack.com.